Welcome to Pivot, a podcast for church leaders sponsored by Faith Lead at Luther Seminary. Pivot invites church leaders to use disruptive moments to reimagine how they think about church, ministry, and leadership. Welcome to Pivot. I'm Terry Elton from Luther Seminary, and with me today is Alicia Granholm and Aaron yes. Nelson. Welcome, and we're excited today to talk about our theme, Why is Faithful Innovation a Faith Practice? So with that, Alicia, would you introduce our guest and talk a little bit more about why we invited Aaron here today? Terry, I'd love to. So Aaron Nelson is the Director of Evangelical Mission in the Northwest Synod of Wisconsin. And formally, Aaron has been engaged with Faithful Innovation Work since 2018, and informally, she's been engaged with it for more than a decade. So we thought no better person to have a conversation with today about why faithful innovation is a faith practice and what this practically looks like in congregations and in synods. So Erin, welcome. We are super happy to have you with us today and excited for our conversation. Yeah, I'm really excited as well. Thanks for having me. Erin, tell me a little bit about, you said you've been doing it informally. I would love to hear a little bit about like, how did you just start doing innovation and why did you think that that would be a good thing in a church? Yeah. So back when I was in seminary, uh, my last year, I took a class from Dr. Dwight Shiley on congregational mission leadership, where we talked about innovation and talked about um, congregational change and adaptive change and technical change. And my imagination just caught fire. And the next semester, I took every class that Dr. Shiley offered and really utilized every opportunity for continuing education with him once I was in uh, the congregation. And innovation is something that I found came very naturally to me. I kind of have a personality where I always say, you know, I leap before I look. I just jump into things and then I think about it later. So innovation is something that came easy for me. And I love to try new things. And um, I'm a little ADD, so I get bored if I if I don't have something new to work on. And I just found it worked amazing in my congregations. I found that being able to strike some creativity and some imagination in my lay folks and try new things got us to just incredibly different places. So in one of my congregations, one of our experiments was doing a midweek seeker service. And we just talked to a bunch of moms. Uh, Our church was right across the street from a school, an elementary school. So we talked to a bunch of moms who didn't have a congregation and asked why. And we found out, you know, all sorts of things like too much time, um, kids didn't like it, you know, all all that stuff. So we started a Wednesday night outdoor service with s'mores And it was a conversation-based service where the parents were talking to their kids. And then we had a play date at the playground at the school right afterwards. And it was just really fun to experiment with this group of people and figure out what they were looking for in terms of connection and in terms of their relationship with Jesus. And, you know, doing stuff like that, um, we started to grow and give garden once just, you know, just to see what would happen if we all gardened together and had the care of it and all these different things were really my favorite part of congregational ministry was being able to engage in the community in new ways and uh, help my congregation members figure out what doing church differently looks like and 
what trying new things looks like. Uh, and then when I got offered this position as director of evangelical mission, it was because the synod was moving into this relationship with faithful innovation. And that's why I applied and that's why I accepted the position because this is and I have for ministry. And what Faithful Innovation did was give me the framework around my natural ability to experiment. And I think that's so important because I experimented a lot, but I think that if it's tools for the listening work and the reflection around the experimentation when I was in the parish, I could have gotten much farther with my experimentation and could have taken those experiments to even a new and better place on my own. Thanks, Erin. I love hearing that. I'm super curious. How have you seen faithful innovation in the the framework of like of a faith practice for you personally, or even as you think about congregational work or as a pastor in a congregation and, and coming alongside of congregations as well? Yeah. When I think about a faith practice, I think of something that we do. So like an action or an activity that we do uh, that connects us closer to the ways that the Holy Spirit is working around us, uh, and also something that draws us closer into discipleship, something that makes us brings us closer to the work that Jesus Christ is calling us into. And I think that Faithful Innovation does this on many different levels. I mean, the most basic level is Every single activity that we do in faithful innovation is a faith practice. We have, you know, these listening works, uh, dwelling in the word, or one-on-ones, or neighborhood walks. These, are, I mean, these are they're faith practices. They're practices that calls us to pay attention uh, to how Jesus Christ is acting in our lives. And in congregations, when I have taught them these activities, it's been transformational for them. Because I see in my synod so many lay people who are faithful lovers of Jesus Christ, but they have lost the ability to perhaps talk about it with each other. They have lost the ability to like, you know, pray out loud in front of other people. They have lost the ability to be able to tell people why Jesus makes a difference in their lives. Even if they for themselves, they have a hard time talking about that with other people. And you know, these faith practices cause them to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing in that moment, but also teach them to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing. And um, for instance, one congregation got so excited about dwelling in the Word that they started to dwell in the Word uh, during worship once a month. And that that's their worship service once a month. And this is something that is just for the whole congregation and um, people talking about how they didn't have the ability to pay attention to what Jesus was saying to them and really recognize that. But by, you know, having the framework of practice, they're able to learn how to do that. And then uh, another congregation was just so transformed by their neighborhood walk because they, the first time they did a neighborhood walk, they stepped out the front door of their congregation and they looked across the street, across their parking lot to this apartment building. And they looked at each other and said, does anyone know anyone who lives in this apartment building? What is God up to in this apartment building? And their experiment was doing parking lot parties with this apartment building, which was mostly young families. They, they just built relationships. And then they ended up putting up a basketball hoop for the kids to play in the parking lot. And then the kids started using the room in the church. 
And then they started chatting with the pastor and he would go out and play basketball with them. And uh, my favorite part of this story is the pastor and his family were at Culver's once. And one of the girls who played basketball, who lived in the apartments, came in with some of her friends and she waved at him and said, hi. And he heard one of her friends say, who's that? And she said, oh, that's my pastor. And she had never been to a worship service, but that was her pastor because they built that relationship. Uh, And so these faith practices, I think, can really not only transform that we're doing it, but it can transform the way that we pay attention all the time. And then I think that the other way that I see faithful innovation practice uh, is the way that it really transforms our entire relationship with Jesus and the world around us. Uh, it's if, if this is something, if this innovation work is something that we do over and over again, it transforms who we are as a Christian. Uh, and I, I do a lot of yoga. I'm really into yoga. And when you're doing yoga, you have to pay really close attention to your breath. And there are certain activities you do when you breathe in and certain activities and poses you do when you breathe out. And I see that in work as well. When we're doing the listening work, we're breathing in Jesus. We're breathing in. Uh, and then when we do this experimentation work, we're breathing out. And uh, then we reflect and we breathe in again. And then we innovate and we breathe out again. And uh, I see this innovation work is kind of learning how to breathe Jesus in and out and how to center our lives around uh, the different ways that Jesus is entering into our hearts and our minds and then the ways that we share that with the world. When we worship, you know, worship is kind of breathing in Jesus Christ and supposed to leave our communities of worship and breathe out into the world. And this innovation work works in the same way where, where we're kind of learning this pattern of how to be a disciple in the world and how to share Jesus Christ with the world around us. Erin, I love that. And I have, I have a question that I think mm-hmm. builds off of one thing that you said. When I talk with people about faith practices, especially those people that aren't in children, youth, and family, that maybe that's not normal language for them. I think we often use practice in two ways. One is like yoga, where Mm -hmm. the practice is the thing, but we also use it like in basketball, where it's preparing for the game, right? And there's a a performance element Mm -hmm. to it. I hear you literally talking about yoga, but thinking of faith practices more in the yoga world, right? Mm -hmm. Where Mm -hmm. it is the thing. But could you say, how do you talk about that with people? Do people like, is faith practice a weird thing for people? Or do they're like going, oh, this is just how I can connect with God at any time, not only during Sunday school or when I'm at the church. Say more about that. Yeah, we actually did a huge uh, synod-wide event, um, right literally February of 2020, days before the pandemic struck. We did this huge uh, synod-wide event for about 500 people came, and it was all about faith practice and um, why this is a lifelong thing that we do. And we use a lot of different analogies to talk to people about why faith practice is so important. And I think into both categories of practice. So I did talk about like playing piano and how practice is something we do to become proficient in something. And in terms of faith practice, I did that to talk to folks about learning how to share their faith with other people. Because I think that 
learning to talk about Jesus Christ is really important. I'm at a different congregation every Sunday. And so often I show up and, you know, at coffee hour, they talk about sports or they talk about the weather and uh, they never talk about where they saw Jesus. And if we can't even talk to, you know, the other people in our congregations about how Jesus has come into our lives, how are we going to do that with people uh, outside of our congregations? So learning how to become better and more comfortable with this kind of behavior, I think is an important aspect of the practice. So I think there is some, you know, learning and building skills to faith practices as well. But I think definitely the more important thing is that these practices are something is closer to God each and every day. And so at that event, it was, it was mostly practical where every room they were learning a new faith practice. And so the idea was not just to teach them how to do faith practices, but to give them that transformational experience. Because I think that's the other thing that's about faith practice is uh, in the moment when you're having that practice, you are having an experience where Jesus Christ is, is, is reaching you and you are transformed. And what we know about, about people today is that, you know, teaching a confirmation, you know, isn't going to grow someone's faith in the same way that giving them that experience where they're, they're experiencing Jesus Christ in that moment. Well, and so I think that's the, the most important part is helping people to have that experience where they're feeling Jesus acting in them doing this with lay people every day. I have so many stories about how people were so transformed. Uh, my favorite story is I was at this congregation uh, in Superior and I was preaching the sermon and I decided uh, to ask the question, everybody think of one time in their lives where they felt close to Jesus Christ and turn to a neighbor and tell that story. And you know that's tough for people in congregations to do, but that's just about question for people to answer, I think, is one time you felt close to Jesus Christ. Um, So they did this. And then I asked if anybody wanted to share with the big group. And someone rose their hand and they shared this story about being in the hospital and the way that their faith community, you know, walked with them during their illness. And then someone else raised their hand and shared a story about a loved one dying. And it went on and on and on until every single person in the room shared their story. And it took like, I mean, I think that service lasted like two hours long, but I think that one of the most transformational experiences I have ever had in worship is hearing one after another, every single person, even the children sharing a time they have felt close to Jesus. Aaron, I have chills hearing that story. I just love it. I'm hearing something that I want to pull out a little bit more of just what you're sharing and I'm kind of thinking out of, for both Terry and I, we are avid readers mm-hmm. and we love to read. And I will say as someone who has been an avid reader my entire life, I can fairly easily connect with God's word when I read scripture. I know from my teaching background that the majority of people do not necessarily very easily connect with God's word simply by reading scripture alone. And I want to tease out a little bit of a distinction maybe of how you see transformation in people's lives taking place through things we commonly do in churches and in our communities like book studies or discussion groups or conversations 
which are vitally important, and through faith practices that you help congregations engage in. Do you see a difference in transformation kind of between those two different things? Absolutely. I think that um, dwelling in the word, that practice is a great example. We engage in scripture a lot in congregational life through Bible study, through sermons, through readings, through liturgy, through our own devotional practices. Uh, But the difference by doing something like dwelling in the word or Lectio Divina or other faith practices around scripture uh, is that we're engaging differently. Instead of simply reading the story, we are we are wondering together how God is interacting in our lives through the scripture. So when when I introduce, for instance, dwelling in the word with congregations, I talk about this idea of what is God to us today in this moment. So we're not we're not going to think about what we learned in seminary about this Bible passage, or we're not going to think about what we know about that text. Instead, we're going to think about how God is interacting with us through the text in that moment. So for instance, we use Acts 16 a lot, which is a beautiful, beautiful text to read. Um, And a lot of times when people read it, they're just like, okay, it's a story about, you know, these apostles traveling around sharing Jesus. But when you think about you know, what words and phrases are sticking out to you? What do you wonder? What might God be saying to us? Um, what I get from people is oftentimes they talk about how connected they were to Jesus in that story. And they talk about how they're listening so intently. Just wonder why the folks aren't allowed to go into Asia. And then they think about um, what does that mean for us? When we, when we encounter roadblocks, is that failure or is that God's hand directing us into someplace new? And then they think about how they came across Lydia outside the city gates by the, the water. And they think about why, you know, why did they have this transformational experience with this woman, not in the temple, but in the world? And where are the times where God is coming to me uh, in our everyday lives? And the experience of reading the scripture, looking for what God might be saying to you, uh, leads them to hear God. And I think that that framework around how to listen helps facilitate uh, the listening. Because I really believe that God is speaking to us every time we interact with, with scripture, but our ears are not always open to that. And when we, we have that deliberate framework, they're able to have that experience and, and hear what God is saying to them. Um, and after they do dwelling, you know, I don't know, I make them do it like 20 times. So after they do it 20 times, then they begin to automatically engage in that way every time they encounter the scripture, not, you know, when it's being read in worship, just when they're doing it uh, deliberately. I love that. I was thinking about where we started and how, where we've gone. You started with experimenting, right? And a lot of us, when we think of innovation, we think of experimenting, Mm-hmm. Right. And you were naturally, I, I wasn't a leader like that too. I was naturally brought into experimenting and learning. And that was curious mm-hmm. with people joining together. And then you talked about practices, which became in many ways tools or things that could be used in different ways. Mm-hmm. Right. We were out fixing a snowblower yesterday and we were using different tools, sometimes in the way they were intended, sometimes not. But the tools are themselves are just serving something else, right? The practices really become 
that set of tools. Mm -hmm. But then what you just landed on was the faithful part of this innovation. The whole sense of the whole point of it all is that we may connect with God and be attentive to God's presence, God's activity, be Mm -hmm. curious, be wondering. And I think at least I will say in my experience growing up, so much of the conversation was about me. What are you going to do? I just never could. I just always fell short. I'll just say it that way. I was in a a church that I think thought they were doing the formative practices, but I felt like it was a ladder to climb or I felt Mm -hmm. like I had to perform something, right? It was more of that kind of way. Whereas this shift for my life and what I hear you inviting others to do has been, no, God's already on the move. We just get to wonder and join Mm -hmm. and participate and receive and um, share with another, right? All those things that are more joining than performing. And I think at Luther, we talk about in our change classes, our theory of change is behavioral. Mm-hmm. Like we live our way into a new way of thinking. Right. And I think that's the opposite of how we have thought about change in the past. Like if yep. we just tell people what to think, then right. they'll change their mind. Right. What, what? Tell me about, does that resonate with you about like how you've seen that theory of change, if you will, that way that congregations have shifted from maybe old ways of seeing the world to a different way of seeing the world? Yeah. When I work with congregations, so much of the conversation is about the church. And uh, so much of the conversation is about what's going to happen in the future. And helping them, I mean, I think the the first thing that I work at when I go into a congregation is helping them to change their viewpoint. Um, helping them to change their focus from the church to Jesus Christ and where Jesus Christ is and how the church can accompany Jesus Christ. But it's also shifted the way that I, the posture that I have when I enter into these congregations. You know, instead of going into these, you know, most of the time when a congregation asks me to come in, they're either having sustainability issues or vitality issues, or they're worried about something, um, they're having financial problems. Uh, And instead of going in with this idea that here I am the expert and I'm going to train you on how to be better at church, I think what Faithful Innovation has taught me to do uh, is to go in with curiosity. And that my role is to be more of a coach or a spiritual leader. My role is to come in with tools, practices, tools to help them change their viewpoint from wondering about church to wondering about Jesus Christ. And I think my job is to ask questions because they they know it. They can do it on their own, right? My, my role isn't to tell them to do it. My role is to help ask the right questions so that they can get there. Uh, and that is beautiful because they have, they have that ability to make that change themselves. It's not me telling them what to do you know, then they might not listen and be resentful. But when they discover it themselves, they have ownership. And uh, it's it's something that they are able to connect to and see uh, more deeply. Uh, and I think in myself and in my work uh, in the Synod, this idea of experimentation uh, and innovation has been transformative in how I work because uh, I'm very much a perfectionist. And 
I, I hate to fail. Uh, and I remember shortly after I started this role, I did a, a really big experiment. It was maybe too big of an experiment to do right away. Uh, and it did not go well at all. And I just like felt gut sick for weeks afterwards until I had a conversation with one of my colleagues who also innovation. And they said, okay, remember a good experiment isn't about how it turns out. It's what did you learn? What did you learn? And what are you going to do differently next time? And that has been so incredibly freeing for my ministry to be able to, to say that to myself, you know, we're living into a new future. I don't know how to do church right now. And to be able to say my, to, to able to say to myself, what did I learn from this experiment? And what am I going to do next? when things don't go exactly the way I hoped. It, it gives me so much freedom to try new things and it gives me so much encouragement and so much confidence uh, in these experiments. Gosh, I love that, Erin. And speaking of faith practices, the faith practice that we want to look at today is called the chapters exercise. And so part of our way forward and figuring out how to be church differently right now is reconnecting with God's faithfulness and God's story and God's promises to us as God's people. And one of the ways that we can do that is by using this faith practice called the chapters exercise, which is really naming God's presence and activity over time. And the point of the exercise is really to use a narrative framework for reflecting back on the history of a particular congregation in order to name ways that God might have been present and active over the course of its history. And this can really help build capacity for naming God's action in the midst of a congregation's life today. And so the steps are pretty simple when it comes to doing this practice. You start by imagining that the history of the congregation is going to be made into a book. And then you reflect on the history and create an outline of the life story of the congregation. And the outline is made up of chapters that begin and end and have chapter titles. And, you know, we just encourage people in congregations to really remember as best as possible the history of the life of the church, because we can't always remember it perfectly, even if we want to. And so step one is just to determine the year the congregation began. Step two, describe to the best of your ability what the early life of the church was like. Who was there? Why did they start the church? Where did they meet? Who were the key leaders? And so forth. Step three is when do you think this first chapter of the church's life came to an end? Step four, what would you call the first chapter? So naming that chapter in the life of that congregation. Step five, what happened in the second chapter of the church's life? Step six, when did that chapter end? Step seven, what would you call that chapter? So again, naming that chapter in the life of that congregation. And then you just simply repeat steps five through seven until you reach today. And then you go back over the descriptions of the life of the church. And for each chapter, answer the question, how do you think God was particularly active or present? What was God's role in each chapter? What might God have been up to during each chapter? 
and go through and write down a sentence or two about what you think God might have been up to during each chapter in the life of that congregation. And then the last step is, you know, in light of the history of the church and God's presence during that time, what do you think the next chapter in the life of that church looks like? What do you think God might be up to in the next chapter of the life of that church? Erin, have you done this practice or one similar with a congregation before? So I haven't done the chapters exercise, but I have often done a similar practice, uh, which is a timeline size with congregations. And it's similar in that it takes the congregation through the history uh, and talks about uh, the major events and different things that happen. Uh, I usually do this activity with congregations who are contemplating change, like thinking about consolidating with another congregation or becoming a multi-point parish or um, closure, something like that. And what this activity normally does is helps the congregation see how many changes they have already been through in the life of the congregation. They recognize, oh, you know, we haven't always worshiped in England. Oh, we haven't always had the same name. We haven't always been in the same building and helps them to see their ministry as something bigger and more expansive than the ministry that they're currently doing. Uh, And that oftentimes helps them to be more open for change in the future. Um, However, after hearing about the chapters exercise, I think I am going to start doing that in the future instead, because I love this idea of um, separating the history of the congregation into chapters and naming the chapters. I think that would make that connection uh, even more clear for the congregations. And I like the idea of coming alongside these chapters and asking what God's activity I think that will help with their connection uh, and help them to ask the question of what is God's activity in our congregation right now as we enter into this new chapter. I love that. And we're going to try it out. We're not, but we're not going to do a congregation. I want to challenge the two of you and myself to think about our own ministry leadership or the ways that we've been involved in ministry formally or informally, and maybe just pick a chapter. Maybe it's the first formal chapter of your life uh, in ministry. Maybe it's the chapter you're in now. Maybe there's something else that stood out. And to say, how would you narrate that? What would be the chapter title if you could come up with one? What would explain what you're doing? And kind of what was God up to in that time? I'm going to say one more thing just to give you another second to think, but also to say, I think what I love, and you kind of highlighted this, Erin, there's something different about plotting things on a timeline versus narrating, because I think timelines feel very linear. And in my mind, at least, I'm a, I like to be a linear thinker and I want to grow, right? I, want, I don't want to go backwards. I want to go forward. And so sometimes I think on a timeline, it's hard to describe what something, what season or chapter that was, if it doesn't feel forward moving. Like I, I'll, I'll use mine. I've left a job in a congregation without another job. And that was a real wilderness kind of time. I was going to get my PhD and I knew that was coming, but I didn't know what else was going on. And so I, and then I took a job in a synod, which I had been the in a very innovative congregation leading a nonprofit called the Director of Changing Church to a synod. And this was in 
the 90s. Okay. So a while ago. So the change was not known in the church and it and the titles made it very disconnected. But when I look back, that was a chapter of not only wandering in the wilderness, but developing an explorer's mindset. I learned, what do I know that's transferable? What are the questions that I have? What's more than responding to the next challenge in front of me in a congregation? And because I was going to get a PhD, what are the deep questions behind that? And what's going on? So for me, it was setting up a next set of chapters. So what, what about you guys? I can think of one. In my first call, uh, I had a, a really good start. Uh, St. John's in Spring Valley, great congregation. I had a great to that congregation, a lovely little honeymoon period. Uh, and then I think my second chapter began just six months later, six months into that first call, I got diagnosed with cancer and uh, had to go through chemotherapy and surgery and all the rest. And um, I would call that new chapter vulnerability because looking back at that time, I think that it taught me that ministry is not about just ministering to your congregation, but it's about opening yourself up and letting yourself be vulnerable and letting yourself be ministered to uh, and letting yourself rely on God and understanding the lack of control that you might have as a pastor of a congregation. And it ended up being a really beautiful chapter in my ministry where I got taken care of so in such a lovely way by my congregation and deepened and strengthened my relationship with my relationship with Jesus Christ uh, and helped me become a different kind of pastor. Thank you for sharing that, Erin. Gosh, my mind is kind of spinning with a lot of different chapters I could talk about because when I look back over particularly my, my chapters in ministry, you know, at the time, in a lot of ways, they felt a bit random, but I look back and see the threads that really wove them together um, and not just God. But I, I particularly am, um, what's coming to mind for me is really being called into ministry. And I remember the very first time um, I preached at the uh, church I grew up in and I was in college and had just gotten home from visiting our companion congregation in Tanzania. And after one of the church services, someone asked, so are you going to be a pastor? And I kind of laughingly said, of course not. And little did I know for the next, gosh, I can't even, I don't know, I guess decade really, God was very gently calling me into ministry. and. One of the first formal volunteer roles I held uh, while I, I worked for the state um, shortly out of college and undergrad. And one of my first more formal volunteer roles, I remember being asked to be a confirmation mentor. And my gut response was, no, I don't have time for that. And thankfully, the leader that asked me said, why don't you go pray about it and we can talk about it next week. And sure enough, over seven days, when I made time uh, to talk with God about it, you know, the response was, well, of course, I actually have time. I just didn't really want to do it. 
And I knew it was an invitation for me to step into it. I still wanted nothing to do with full-time ministry, but I knew that, okay, yes, I could serve in this way. And for me, I don't know exactly what I would call that, but I will say that so much of my experiences in ministry have been being invited. And I think sometimes as leaders, we forget how powerful invitations, personal invitations to people really can be. So often we rely on, you know, a communal invitation when really some people, myself included, need a personal invitation. Otherwise, for a variety of reasons, they're simply not going to step up and potentially step into what God might ultimately be calling them to. And so for me, it's always been a, a testimony of just the power of a personal invitation to people and something that I just have relied on and come back to time and time again in my own leadership. Thanks. I love those stories. And I love learning more about each of your calls. Reminds me of what a gift it is just asking people more about themselves and and being open to listening, like you told us earlier, Aaron, right? Just that practice of listening to each other and to God and to our neighbors. I'm also reminded, and this chapter's exercise is just one reminder of that, that there's more than one way to tell a story, right? And the the practice of narrating story is a reflective process in and of itself. And in, in this faithful innovation practice, it's a communal one, right? Uh, it, sometimes we can do that just personally, but that sense of coming together and remembering. Erin, I was thinking uh, our daughter was diagnosed with cancer during the pandemic, and there are many ways to die, to, to narrate a cancer journey, for example, mm-hmm. and they can have highs and lows in the same day or hour, right? But they can also be from different perspectives. They can be short-term, long-term, right? There's all kinds of ways to tell the story and there's not a right or wrong way. And so part of what I love about this exercise is it's not about the facts. It's about the narrative and the large shaping moments of a community and the people that were were touched. We can close churches and have a really robust ministry and meaning. It's not a failure, Mm -hmm. right? Or we can have really hard chapters in a congregation's life and they can be resurrected into new life that we could never have imagined because this is God's story, not just ours. So even painful stories as as we've talked about or can imagine with congregations can really be reconciling and restorative as well. So thank you. Thanks, Erin, for your time today. Thank Alicia for your questions and your stories. So today we talked about why is faithful innovation a faith practice. And next episode, we're going to talk about why innovate in the church. We have another amazing church leader that's been through our Faithful Innovation process, Matt Short. And so he's going to tell us a little bit about his experience with regard to that. And so we invite you to join us next time for that episode. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Pivot Podcast. For more leadership resources, go to faithpluslead.luthersem.edu.